You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. And as we do every Thursday, we have Mike Sando on. We're going to preview tonight's game. We're going to talk about the Jags, a little bit of Khalil Mack discussion, backup quarterbacks, maybe talk about some of the big games around the league. Mike, what is up with you? Not too much. I am sort of morbidly fascinated by the Thursday night game, even yes. though you know Den- Denver and Arizona you know, are not exactly going to be in the Super Bowl this year. I think we can see that, but I'm, like, interested. I, I, I want to watch. Yeah, me Maybe too. Maybe I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I write up every Thursday night game for Clayton football, and the, and I kind of put a fantasy spin on it, but I feel like tomorrow people are going to be talking about David Johnson is back, the Cardinals have a quarterback, what's going on with Denver. I'm going to pick the cards to win this game, and they're two-and-a-half-point dogs. That kind of surprises me that Denver's favored against anybody on the road right now. Yeah, yeah. I on ESPN had to pick uh, an upset. You know, they said, hey, what's your upset of the week? And I went with this one, too. I went with Arizona. I, I liked how they played defense against Minnesota. I mean, that's a, that's a tough place right. to play. I know B- Buffalo won there, but, I mean, it's, it's a tough place to play. And th- their defense really competed. So now – can they score? I and mean, that's a whole other thing. But I think defensively they may be able to get a turnover or two and, and cause some problems. Yeah, I agree. And it's basically the two worst run defenses in the league. And I know the Cardinals line's not great and getting Miller and Chubb and those guys protected you know, and you know, blocked is going to be difficult. But I just don't think the Broncos are going to pull away. And kind of in the end, I trust the Johnson-Rosen combination more than I do Keenum-Freeman-Lindsay. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't trust it resoundingly more. You know, I'm, right. you know look, if, if Denver won big, I, I mean, we're not going to be surprised. Arizona can look terrible, but I'm, in, I'm just intrigued by it. You know, and there's there are also two places where, you know, like in, in Denver, they make changes all the time, like, you know, firing coordinators, and they just haven't been able to get it right at quarterback. That's fascinating to me with Elway there. And then Arizona is like, seems genuinely shocked that they're not good, but I think everybody else didn't think they were going to be good. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to do a quick state of the organizations there as I feel like, I feel like Denver's a little bit rudderless and it, I don't think it would shock any of us if they're looking for a head coach or quarterback in the off season or both where I feel like the cards whether they believe it or not, are kind of in foundation mode of building a nice house. Yeah, and the thing about Arizona is, you know, they have an elite pass rusher in Chandler Jones. They have an elite running back. They have an elite corner. You know, there's some eliteness on their roster, but and Rosen may be a good quarterback. I mean, I think he he looks his numbers aren't good, but I think he could be a good quarterback. So there are some building blocks in place, uh, but they do need an overhaul. And I think I have a greater appreciation for Bruce Arians and the job he was able to do. Mm, Uh, Now he had, he had Carson Palmer. That's a huge difference, but you know, they were competitive with some backups in for stretches too, Drew Stanton. And I think that Bruce Arians was great at making his guys believe they were better than they were getting a lot out of them wherever he was at. And, you know, they may not, they don't have him anymore, obviously. I think that could be a factor too. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there is some changes going on, schematic changes. The big talk around here on a Steeler bye week is, would you give up a first-round pick for Patrick Peterson? And is he really on the block? And I rarely say this, and I know that because I'm kind of a Steelers uh, traditionalist, and I know they don't trade their picks, but I'm trading the first-round pick for Patrick Peterson if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wow. It's, it just goes against the way the Steelers have operated. Um, and But I do think, you know, here's what the interesting part of the discussion for me is that, you know, teams can, in their own minds, overvalue draft picks, thinking that every pick they were going to use is going to be a Hall of Famer, you know. And the reality is, whatever Patrick Peterson is going to do for the next six years is probably way better than what you're going to get in a first-round pick. The 25th you know I mean? pick overall, or, you know, yeah, maybe the next yeah, already I mean, burns. Yeah, now, you know, look, Aaron Rodgers was picked in the 20s, too, but that's the exception. You can't bank on that happening. So, um, yeah, that would be a that, that would sure send a message that they're serious about winning this thing now before, uh, you know, before it all falls sort of falls apart. I just don't know. They may be they may be trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I also think the Eagles would be a possibility for Peterson. He's. He's pricey. He's 10, 11, 12 million over the next three years, but you have him for three years and then maybe he's old. I mean, three years of Patrick Peterson to me is worth a late first round pick for a contender. Yeah. Now think of it. How about this though? What did the Rams give up for Marcus Peters? Who's not Mm -hmm. on a $10 million or $15 million a year deal and is younger. You know, yeah, but there's extenuating circumstances with him too. Like I'm not sure. There usually are with trade trades right. too, and I, and I don't know that Arizona is going to trade him. You know, I I think that's the other part of this equation. I don't necessarily believe that he's going to be moved. And they might want more than that. Yeah, and they may want him on their team. Right. No, you're right. Um, I want to talk about Swap. I've mentioned them before. They're a good friend of the show, and anyone that has kids like Mike and I do realize how much you spend on brand new clothes all the time. They're growing like weeds. Both our families grow big, growing big, I think, in the Sando household as well as the Williamson household, and they are growing like crazy. So isn't it crazy how much we pay for brand-name new, brand name clothes all the time? Why do we buy new kids' clothes if they just outgrow them in like a week? Especially their shoes. How about that? Wouldn't it be great if there was a place to discover awesome discounts on gently used clothes? And there is. It's called Swap.com. It's the world's, world's largest online consignment and thrift store. Stop driving to the store after store, sifting through racks. Easy, easily sift through millions of clothes in seconds on Swap.com with easily to filter and find exactly what you need. Over 15 million tons of textiles are wasted every year. Shopping secondhand at Swap.com helps prevent textile waste from polluting the environment. So you can feel good about that. So, you know, they have the, they're the world's long, largest online consignment and thrift shop. We have a special offer. So you get 35% off select items with your first order with our promo code LOCKED ON, all caps, all one word. With swap.com, you can save up to 90% off retail prices on your favorite brands like Carter's, Nike, J. Crew, Gap. It's quality, hand inspected items are added daily. If, it, if something doesn't fit, enjoy hassle free returns within 30 days. So again, go to swap.com, use our promo code LOCKED ON. All one word. All right. You brought up a good topic before we went on the air. Are the Jags in trouble? 
And I want to give a couple quick thoughts. And I want to hear more from you because they've been a team all offseason. I was saying, I don't. I think they're going to come back to the pack. You know, there were some things going against them, namely their passing game. But things like they had no defensive injuries last year. They played the easiest schedule in the league last year. And the thing that's really derailing them this year that people don't tend to realize is is the turnovers. They're getting killed in turnover differential. I tend to think that might come back to the pack. But in the end, are the Jags in trouble? I think it's almost surprising to look back and realize they were only a 10-win team last year. Because of the way things finished and they took New England to the wire and really almost should have won. I mean, right? I mean, they were that close. That was legitimately a game where if Stephon Gilmore doesn't reach up and hit that ball, (laughs) the Jaguars are in the Super Bowl. So I think we ended last season thinking they were like a 12-4 and team. I'd always kind of remind myself, hey, wait a minute, this team only won 10 games. So um, we start there. And then, you know, I think there's been some, you know, statistical evidence that that Bortles has improved over the last few years. I think his numbers have gotten a little bit better, and some of that could just be the context around him. You know, that can mm-hmm. help your, your quarterback when you've got a better running game, a better defense. You're not having to make as many bad, risky decisions, right, in a game. Um, but he still is who he is, you know, and I believe in the last week was the 12-year anniversary of Dennis Green saying they are, you know, they were who we thought they were. And, you know, for Bortles, that's an up-and-down quarterback who, you know, when he gets it put on his plate too much, um, there's a good chance it's going to be a bad outing. So I think that's been affirmed. You know, th- there's not a different new Bortles who's going to carry them and not mess it up sometimes. Uh, he has messed up some games, and I think that may be something they have to live with and decide what they want to do with after the year. Yeah, and... A week ago, I would have told you the Bears and the Jags were the two elite defenses in the league. And I think Baltimore's now in that conversation. And both of them got their butts handed to them. I mean, and I don't think that's going to be a trend with Jacksonville. But one thing I I said yesterday was, I'm so impressed with the offensive play callers, offensive designers nowadays, that if you're an execution-based defense, you know, that's a Seattle cover three scheme, they don't throw a lot out you. They don't scheme you up. Their Jimmys and Joes are better better than yours. As great as their talent is, I think scheme is starting to beat talent. Well, I mean, it depends. To me, you can do a, you can do disguising in that defense, and Seattle's defense is really good this year. It I is. Don't know if, you know, if we've uh, that's sort of a whole other story. Um, now we're seeing Atlanta running that and having problems, you know, yeah, <laughs> because they have, they, have, yeah. they have because they have injuries. But so Seattle took away Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, KJ Wright hasn't played all year, and they are statistically right now uh, top twelve defense, uh, top they're top five in offensive points per game allowed, and they're twelve in our defensive efficiency metrics. So. I think that that can be a a little bit of an unfair criticism for that defense because you can still disguise somewhat within that. And that's just according to coaches I know who who like that defense and have tried to explain to me why a lot of teams run it. Um, So in the end, are they an AFC contender? Are they the best team in their division? (sighs) It's a bad division. 
Yeah, I mean, if I had to bet on someone in that division, it's probably them. Um, I don't trust the other situation, so you know, either. So, I think what happens at this time of the year is we, you know, we have less information to go on. So, you know, after two games, we're like, uh, the Vikings are going to be picking in the top ten. You know, well, that's not the way it is. <laughs> right. you know, they've got the whole year to figure this thing out. Um, the Vikings are above five hundred right now. You know. Um, Miami's a team that's going to not be over 500 probably, right? I mean, they are right now. So we can we can see Philly's going to come along. So it is a long season, and I think there are still some fundamentals in place there. I think Doug Marone nailed it in his comments this week that they need to just kind of get back to fundamentals, you know, and just play a solid football game. I am concerned that Leonard Fournette misses a lot of games. You know, I think that's a yeah. corollary to this is you use a top-five pick for him, and I don't know that he's really been special. So when you take guys that early, they miss games, aren't dynamic, that sets you back. And so they need him to get back on the field, be healthy, and carry a lot of the load. Yeah, I think that's a great point about Fournette. And that would certainly make Bortles' life easier. might cut down on the turnovers. Um, and, you know, there's, everyone has a conversation. Should you use an early pick on a back? And I'm leaning more and more towards maybe – you know, I don't think the Rams are too upset with Gurley or, you know, those type of guys. But Fournette doesn't affect the passing game like those guys. And kind of like you alluded to, his durability, not just right now. I mean, coming into the league all last year, ankles, the way he runs. Is he ever going to be a 16-game-a-year guy? So uh, he doesn't look like he lives up to that draft billing for that position. Right, yep. And those were concerns coming in. He had ankle issues, so right. it's not like it's a huge shock. So, um, you know, that's that. I'm not calling it a miss yet, but it was already a, a gamble of, on position. You know, that, that mm-hmm. I, I know people who are on offensive staffs that were picking after them who were hoping that he wouldn't be the guy their team picked, not because they didn't like him, right, right, but, but because they didn't want to have to. When you get a back that you know, you get a back in the top 15 picks you're then under pressure to run everything through him, you know, and everyone, it's a story every week, whether or not this guy's on pace for a thousand yards or whatever. And it's like, that's not how we want to run our offense. You yeah. Know? Right. Yeah. I mean, he better be Zeke. He better be Gurley or Barkley, you know? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Gurley now is one. Now girl, you know, Gurley when he didn't have any blocking wasn't anything, but boy, he sure looks, he's a huge, I mean, he is hugely important to the Rams success right now. No doubt. And the one argument I make about should you draft a back high is would the Rams have led the league in scoring last year without Todd Gurley? Would they have been in the top 10? It's a really fair question. I would normally not give that much credit to a back, but I think he is somebody who's driving that offense. Yeah. We talked about the Chicago defense, and I'm gonna, you're going to have to lead this conversation because I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Khalil Mack got injured in that Dolphin game, and his status is up in the air, which is huge for Bears-Patriots, but that's not where I want to go with this. You mentioned before that Belichick had some sort of response to a Mack versus Lawrence Taylor comment or something along those lines. <laughs> it was a great I, I answer. Hear about it. Yeah. it was a great answer, and I don't fault the person for asking it, you know, because in the media, your goal is to get a great answer. So it doesn't mean that your question, it has to be, you know, everyone has to agree with the premise, but really Belichick was asked about Khalil Mack, who's obviously a great player, and whether he compared to Lawrence Taylor. And Belichick basically sort of laughed it off. And I mean, come on, we're talking about Lawrence Taylor. And <laughs> right. I think that 
I think that all of us can suffer from a recency bias, you know, and, and I deal with this being a Hall of Fame voter. If Ed Reed were not to make it in on the first ballot, people would be absolutely aghast. But there's a lot of great players over time who aren't in or didn't get in right away. You know what I mean? And we right. forget about it because this guy we remember so fresh as being so great that it would be it's seen as a travesty, you know. And so I think that that's what happens now. Khalil Max played three or four years and has had a couple great years. Lawrence Taylor was absolutely dominant, you know, for a long time. And so last night, I think it was, uh, I think. Uh, Evan Silva tweeted out something that had this great video of Lawrence Taylor highlights, and I watched them. And I mean, I'm old old enough that I remember watching Lawrence Taylor when he played, um, but it was like shocking to watch. Even yes. though I remember him, I grew up watching him. Um, watched his whole career, whatever we could watch at that time. It wasn't always on TV, but you could see the highlights. It was just shocking to see how dominant, how violent he was. And I know, you know, in doing research on other stories over the years, when Lawrence Taylor came into the league, you know, in around, around the 1980 era, um, it was really, there was a shift in the NFL towards some of the greatest athletes now being on defense. You know, you had guys like Ronnie Lott and Kenny Easley and Lawrence Taylor going to that side of the ball. And, man, Lawrence Taylor, guys, you go to my Twitter, you know, my Twitter timeline, Sando ESPN, and look for that video because you won't – after you watch it, you won't be asking questions about who compares to him <laughs> in a league right now. I mean, right, he's just right. killing guys. Right. Mean, vicious killer. Just ultra-competitive – Yes, just ultra violent. And, you know, I think there's a move to, you know, let's make football safer. And hey, football is not that mean of a, you know, the bad of a sport. Look, it is, it is a violent sport at that level. And Lawrence Taylor epitomized that just really, really, I mean, just different. You couldn't put together a highlight reel like that of anyone in the league today. No, 100% right. It's interesting because his football life was just on NFL Network. And to me, that's like the best show on TV. I've never missed one. I've, they're, they're phenomenal. And after I watched it, I went to YouTube, and, I, and I, it's sort of along the lines of what you said, but I, I searched for Lawrence Taylor run defense. I didn't even watch his pass rush. <laughs> yeah. And it's awesome. I mean, he tracks down. If you run away from him, he tracks you down from behind and spears the ball out and closes like crazy. Or you run at him, he sheds a tight end and just throws him away, you know, diving into the pile. I mean, people only talk about his run defense. I mean, to me, you know, and and they interview guys like Coach Gibbs, and he's like, well, we invented the H-back to help with Lawrence Taylor. You know I mean? Like, just renovations for the game. Like, we used to just block edge, you know, blitzers with running backs and tight ends. Well, that doesn't work. I mean, like, what are you talking about? On the video, there's plays where a tight end's trying to block him, and the tight end <laughs> right. is launched like a dummy. It's like he's a cotton-filled dummy, you know, like just it's pillow-filled, like, you know, like feathers. It's like you and, and I just, trying to block him. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And there was another one. I was like, I was like, wow, it was it was a, a hit near the goal line on Stump Mitchell, and I was like, 
<laughs> Next time I see Stump, because I used to cover him when he was with Seattle, I'm like, Stump, tell me about Lawrence Taylor, because he absolutely, heli- he's helicoptering him, you know, I mean, it's, Stump Mitchell's all of a sudden like this airborne object, he's not a person anymore, and he's just <laughs> flying, he's awesome. Yeah, it, it, to me, he's the best offensive player that ever lived, and then there's other arguments, but the way he changed the game, I mean... People didn't tomahawk the ball out of quarterbacks' hands back then before him. I mean, just the changes he made. Oh, by the way, he's good in coverage. He's got a bunch of interceptions. Yeah. Yep, just totally different. So kids out there, meaning kids is what is a kid now, under 30? Yeah, for watching Lawrence see Taylor. I mean, who hasn't seen Lawrence Taylor? If you haven't, just trust, you know, don't trust us. Go look for yourself. Go to my time. Go to Sando ESPN. Find that video. Watch it. And then get back to us. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to take a quick break. I urge everyone to check out the Locked On Network. Uh, we, we pretty much have every team covered. Go check out your favorite team. Tomorrow I'm going to pick games at my bookie straight up and against the spread as usual. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. We're going to talk backup quarterbacks. It's a kind of a hairy situation. All right, Mike, we are back. And I'm going to lead this backup quarterback conversation with... I don't know that you've ever had this assignment at ESPN, but during my 10 years when I was there, on three or four occasions, my assignment was, hey, Matt, rank the 32 backup quarterbacks in the league from 1 to 32. It was the worst assignment I ever had. I mean, you want to know the status of bad quarterbacks, and some of those dudes are really, really rough. Go rank them 1 to 32, and you'll be like, wow, this is a problem area. And I know you want to kind of talk about, looks like Miami with Brock Osweiler. Buffalo signs Anderson off the street, and he's better than what they got, apparently. And C.J. Beathard, who I think has been pretty good. So we we were starting to get to the point of the season where starters are going down. Yeah, the, the way things are working, though, I think the starting quarterback position is in great hands right now. We're I agree. Almost all the, yeah. all, you know, most of the teams feel pretty good or, or at least did before the season started. And I know this because when I do my quarterback tiers project, um, you know, there's about I usually will have about 35 quarterbacks in it. And this year, 2018, the average rating from the 50 coaches and evaluators I talked to was much better than it was last year. So mm-hmm. I noticed that coming into the year that people thought those, the, whatever the top 35 guys were quite a bit better than they had been in the past. So at the same time, I think the backup position um, feels worse to me. And, you know, you can go, I really enjoy like ourlads.com. Oh yeah. You Ourlads. If you just Google our lads quarterback depth chart, it brings up every – it goes by division, and it brings up every team's starter, every team's backup, and number three. And I was on, talking yesterday to a to a longtime personnel evaluator, and we were reading through these, and we were, like, laughing on some of them. You know, it's like, wow, they, they got nobody. in Some, some nobody. entire divisions. Like Carolina's know. got nothing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. So when you look at the backup quarterback situations um, – you know, look at the NFC West has Mike Glennon, Sean Mannion, Nick Mullins, and Brett Hundley. You know, I mean, uh, I don't you know, know who the Nick AFC Mullins w- is. Yeah, the, the AFC West is Chad Kelly, Chad Henney, Geno Smith, and AJ McCarron. They're they're all guys you could put in for a game, but we're not talking about the future of your franchise. You know, there, there's not we're not seeing that. So I think some of it is 
who has time for quarterback development? Who has who knows how to develop quarterbacks? I mean, I think there have been great quarterback developers, the Mike Holmgrens, the Mike Martzes. Um, you know, even look at a Ryan Fitzpatrick. He came in under Mike Martz. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not that he's a great quarterback, but he's a seventh round pick who's been playing for over ten years. You know, um, I think there. I think that is a an area that obviously needs improvement. There's not a developmental league. Rosters are smaller. Teams are carrying two. No one's. There's fewer practice reps, so we're not even getting you know work for these guys. Uh, instead, what's happening is you're you're drafting them and playing them quickly and hoping they hit. And luckily for the league right now, there's enough old guys holding on. You know, there's enough 35 plus guys holding on, and there's some exciting young guys coming in. But the backup situation um, is dire. And, and just ask. And when you when you're bringing in Derek Anderson and starting him on no, he has <laughs> right. You're the system. guy. I mean, we're not talking about you know a week 14 where they've had three star- injuries at quarterback. We're, we're just talking about. Right now, the first half of the year, you're doing that crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of notes on that is I hate it as a Lawrence Taylor fan, as an old school dude, but this is exactly why quarterbacks aren't getting touched today, folks, because you don't want to watch Colt McCoy versus Matt McGloin on Thursday night or something. No one's going to tune in, and the game will be drastically worse. And therefore, I think quarterbacks are playing longer, so there is a correlation between the poor backups and the rise in starters. And I thought, I, I think this stat's really interesting too. And I s- cited it often in the off season, every team except the Cowboys has either like a 15 million a year dude, a Dalton type starter, or they have a first round pick waiting in the wings, like the jets or somebody like that. So 31 of 32 teams has somebody that they at least were or still is, you know, excited about, including Dallas. I mean, because they'd lucked into Dak. Absolutely, I've got it on my screen now. If you and I'm just, I'm actually looking at the 2019 scheduled cap hits. There are 21 quarterbacks with a 2019 cap hit of 19 million or more starter money. And, and, yeah, and we and really 22 are over 16. Andy Dalton's at 16-2. Mm-hmm. Then you hit a band of guys that are basically recent draft picks. You know where you're you're really between about your cap it for next year is between 3.7 and 8.8. That's Goff, Wentz, Trubisky, Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, Mahomes, Rosen, and Watson. They're all on first contracts. They're all guys we want to see more of. They're not all. They're not. Right. There's no McCowns in there. You know what I mean? And then the lowest guy is Dak. So um, that's a pretty healthy state of the position. Sure, there's you know Eli Manning's not looking good, and, and Case Keenum's not looking good. But they were all guys who plausibly came into the year earning a decent salary. You know, they, it wasn't just absolutely ridiculous that those guys got a contract. So that's not bad. No, you're 100% right. I mean, the Broncos gave Keenum that money this year, you know, and I look at the Giants, the Broncos, and the Jags as three teams where they need to do something at quarterback, you know, that their their plan hasn't worked out, in my opinion. Like, I wrote an article, the Giants should trade for Brissett. Or, you know, they should all be in the market for Herbert or whoever the studs are next year, you know. So, uh, and then there's the teams like the Saints that we're just going to pick up Bridgewater because we can. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one because it just feels like a one-year rental, you know. Right. Um, but he'll, he may go sign a contract somewhere and they get a comp pick back. So, um, yeah, I think he's an interesting one in the mix. I don't think he's going to play this year because Breeze doesn't miss games, but um, he could have some value next year as, as somebody maybe – if you want to have a plan like Cleveland had this year where you're, you, you're double teaming the position, you're saying, hey, we're going to get someone we think could start now and we're going to draft somebody early. I like that way of going. I, I like too. the way Cleveland did that. I mean, you can't just put all your eggs in one basket that's, a, that's unknowns. If you're going to have – you, you got to have another protection to yourself. And so that's why I think Cleveland's in a better position than you know some of these other teams that don't have two – legitimate starting options yeah and it's sort of the way the eagles ended up with Wentz. you know bradford was already in tow they just gave him money um last two notes on this are i think anyone that's been around a team realizes that the backup quarterbacks really aren't getting better this time of year you know i mean that it's game plan time the starters getting the reps you know your third string guy's running scout team he's pretending to be the other quarterback and you basically are getting mental reps. I mean, it's hard to get better once the season starts. And I think I've told you this, and there's many reasons for it, but this is at the top of the list, is if I were king of the world, I would create an NFL minor league system. Not a developmental league as much as like a like a trip away, you know, like where you can call a guy up from, you know, the, the neighboring town, you know, that's from the minors, or, you know, like how hockey does it, where there's a true minor league team where they're learning your system, your coaching staff, and it's just a smaller version. Yeah, I think the challenge in football is that it's such a demanding game physically. So mm-hmm. it's hard to have a bunch of full contact games going on where, where you learn. You know, <laughs> um, It would be ideal if you could get them some reps in your practice in your camps. But um, I'm not sure. You know, the, the, the owners of the league seem so driven by money that – they don't want to do a minor developmental league unless they know they can make money off of it. And I think that we're, you know, we're not seeing the owners of the league have the, have the game, the best interest of the game itself at heart. I think they only do when it lines up with their wallet. And so that's another reason we are where we are. Yeah. I just think that if the Wheeling Steelers played the Akron Browns, they would still sell 10,000 tickets and a bunch of beers. Yeah, but you know, would the Jacksonville surge? <laughs> right. the second, remember the Sacramento surge and, and the World League, but I'm going to say the Jacksonville, whatever, you know, against the, uh, you know, New Los Orleans. Angeles, yeah. uh, you know, what's that going to do? The Sacramento Rams or something? Yeah, yeah. Sacramento is actually, I grew up there, so it's actually a pretty good minor, you know, they, they would probably support right, a they'd be great. minor league football team, um, but not every community would. No, no, I hear you. I mean, you, you need to come up with 32 of them. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely flaws. Somebody smarter than me has to come up with it, but it's, when I'm king of the world, I'm going to get that fixed. Um, Oakland is supporting minor league football right now, so that's, that's good. <laughs> yes, they are. Michael, do you got anything else? I think we're going to wrap this up. Talk next Thursday. How's that work for you? I'm good. Let's 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 watch this great game tonight, huh? Yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, man. Thanks so much, and I will be back tomorrow, everyone, to pick games.